0: Like every time we're here, I look right back at you. As your eyes perk up and you say, boy, don't you come on unglued. I'll be some kind of busted up on the floor. I'll make a change. So I'm happy we're back in our room. You know, it's nice to do these little different things, but you know what? I appreciate the room. A lot of work, a lot of years, and uh, I definitely always appreciate being back here. Um, thanks for coming. The game was a little different. Hard to do a team challenge like that, you know? One of those things. But uh, see, the thing is, I'm just trying to challenge you guys to actually, like, talk People? Because what ends up happening every single week is you talk to the same people. You know, all I ever do is talk to, like, you know, I try to talk to everybody. I do my best, but I see sometimes the people go to the same people. So I try to, like, do something to make it shake it up a bit. All right, so tonight, <clears throat> happy to be back, happy to be talking to you guys about ministry and things that are important. I think what ends up happening a lot of times in our Christianity, I think that a lot of people get very comfortable. And they think um, that statement, you know, I'm good enough. And I just really want to challenge you tonight that uh, you might not be. You might not be good enough. And you might be just really confused about who you really think you are spiritually. And uh, so I title my message just so there's no confusion. So you guys can know whether or not you're really who you say you are or think you are. So. Um, How many of you guys have ever really read the Message Translation? I'm going to tell you if you haven't. It's a great translation. Really, really great translation. You know, it's really funny. um, Reading through the Bible, numerous uh, times that I have, I've tried to read different translations. You know, I'm not one of those uh, people that say you can't read or, or go to a different one. Because you know what? I can honestly tell you the truth after reading different translations I've read. Um, the NIV two or three times I've read through the New Living Translation. A couple times I've read through the Message, I've read through the Amplified, and now I'm reading the New King James Version. And I can tell you that, you know what, I think God is powerful enough to speak through any translation. If we're truly seeking him, he can reveal himself to us. It's our hunger that will, whether or not he's going to show up. I think sometimes people are like, well, God can't possibly speak to you in the God, God can't possibly speak to you here. I would say my question to them would be, and you've read it, because I don't believe that. Because I know God has answered my prayers and has shown me that he's real. As a matter of fact, last night, one of the things that I was praying about, it was amazing, I sat down in prayer on Tuesday night here, opened up the Bible, and I was really just like saying, God, just show me something. And it was amazing how he spoke to uh, me out of just the scripture that I read. So that's how God is, you know. So Eugene Eugene Peterson, who actually um, translated the message, Interesting man, interesting man, because one of the things I was reading tonight is talking about prayer is in the Psalms. How it actually started out was him really challenging um, himself and trying to teach people to pray. And what he would do is people would say that they, thought they have to have all these flowery words and ways to pray, and they didn't know if they were good enough at it. And he says, just here, go home and read the Psalms. He says, the Psalms are prayers to God. It's just a real openness and transparency that David and the, you know had with God, and and you know read those instead, and it'll show you how we can speak to God because we think that we have to have all these flowery words, and we think we have to have this certain stance and pose and all this. And if you read through David um, talking about some of the things, I mean, he's like, man, take my enemies down, get rid of them, kick them. Slap him on the face. (laughs) That's what he did. And it was just truth, you know. And I think that's what really God wants us to be, is just really transparent and real. So Eugene Peterson, he actually says in the message translation, in 1 John 1, 1, 2, and 3, uh, that the most difficult thing for people to get straight in life is, there's two things, love and God. And he makes the point that um, the messes that people make up in their lives Normally, it can be traced back to the failure of either one of those things or two of those things, <laughs> both. You know what ends up happening uh, a lot of times if we can't seem to get God straight, who God is, what He's really done for us in our life, if He is a creator, if He's not, if we want to believe that, if we don't, and then love, we see how that's been missed. You know, done in life. All you have to do is watch Maury Povich, and see who's the baby daddy. All you got, you know, all you got to do is watch a couple episodes of that, and you know, life is messed up. Love is lust and love becomes all about sex instead and it's not really what god had intended all you have to do is look at the world and you see that people are confused about what love is and what god is about very very quickly relationships will start right off the bat and they're like i love you i love you and then literally within last the next week after they decide you know they didn't share their lunch it's like i hate you i hate you too you know it's it's like, come on, not really what really God intended. So the Bible is a plan and actually in those um, things are really intricately, intricately related. Love and God really cannot be separated because what? God is love. He makes it clear. If you read God's word, he says he is love. So that's something that we know that you can't take those apart. If we want to deal with God in the right way, then we have to learn to love the right way. And if we want to learn to love the right way, then we have to learn to deal with God the right way. So both things have to come together and work together because they cannot be separated. God is love. So I want to talk to you really tonight from 1 John 1 and 2. I'm going to continue on to 1 John because there's like nuggets of great information in there. Really, really great stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, especially in the uh, message translation, some really, really great things. Um... I want to read to you first off in John, first John 1, where um, it speaks of, uh, really, John speaks from the angle of a tour guide. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I taught you that message, I said, either you're a tourist, you're a travel agent, or you're a tour guide. You know, sometimes we're just tourists. We're just on the path. We don't really care about sending anybody else on that same trip with us, you know, it's. Or you could be a person who actually does understand that your job is to take the message of Christ to others and you think, okay, I'm going to sell you a ticket. You can get there. But then God really intends us to be tour guides. He wants us not only to, to go on that path and be a tourist and see how it all works out, not just sell people a ticket, but he wants us to go with people and really be with them and live life with them when they're experiencing what Christ is all about. So um, John speaks of this from the angle of a tour guide. He says, from the very first day we were there taking it all in, We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in the most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredible. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this, we want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. That's a tour guide. That's somebody who's right there with you, experiencing life right then. And uh, John was a tour guide. Man, he saw everything that was going on. You know, here, what separated him from the others, like I said, he's this experience right with them. He experienced Jesus. He saw Jesus come into his own. He saw people be healed of miracles, you know, with miracles. He saw the blind to see again. He saw crippled people walk. And he saw Jesus be all that he intended to be. And he walked alongside him. We know that he experienced everything firsthand. So he experienced it. He is so amazed by what God is that he says, man, I want you to experience it too. That's what it's all about. You know, the thing is, if you've ever gone on vacation, now how many of you guys, I've never really, can I can honestly say I've never gone on some sort of tropical locale. I always say that my dream I really, really want to live on a Gilligan-type island. That's where I want to be. It looks like so much fun, doesn't it, to live in that, you know, to have your own little hut? I don't know. It just looks like fun to me. I don't know why. I would really like to be uh, marooned on an island. I think it might be kind of fun. Until, like, the hurricanes or the typhoons come. Then I would be a little bit afraid. But hopefully there's a cave like Gilligan had where you could go in, and that would be good. But how many of you guys ever went on this, like, really interesting vacation where you went on this, like, tropical locale where there's, like, the palm trees blowing, the white sandy beaches? How many of you guys have ever done that? You guys are really blessed. Good for you. I'm jealous. (laughs) Um, I've never done that. I did go to Germany, and I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade that for the life of me because I thought Germany was absolutely beautiful. I would go back in an instant if I could. That was by far one of the prettiest places I've ever been in my life. But, you know, if you've ever gone and experienced a beautiful locale, I mean, a gorgeous place, and you want to tell others about it. You know, you just want to tell them. And you want them not just to tell them, you want them to experience it. You know, man, you can show them pictures, but it just doesn't do it justice. You know, you can show them videotape, but it just doesn't do it justice. It's just not enough. You know, the thing is, we want people to see it with them. I mean, we want to like experience it for the very first time. We want to go with them and experience it with them alongside them. You know, John talked about, um, I really, really would, my dream is to go to Israel. I'd love to go to Israel. I want to go to Egypt. I want to go to Greece. I want to go all those different places. I think it would be the most awesome thing to go and travel all those places. I watch Zola Levitt every single week. A lot of the things, I mean, that they, that they stand for as I love. I mean, I just love the fact that it's always all about the Jewish tradition. Because I've always said I wondered if I have a call to do missions in um, Israel someday. I would love to do that. But the thing is, what I love to do is love to watch all the interesting buildings and things that were built in, in Jesus' time. And you watch it and think, wow, these are the places that Jesus walked. And this is where Paul was doing all of his ministry. And that's so amazing to me. But, you know, the thing is, when you're you're showing somebody a picture, like I said, it just doesn't do it justice. You want them to experience what you experience. You want them to see the sights. You want them to smell the smells. You want them to feel that breeze. Because, you know, it's that whole experience, everything, when you're there, that really makes it come alive. And John knows I want to go to Israel. So last year was our 25th anniversary. And uh, he said, you know, what we should do is you should go to Israel. He checked on some prices for me. But I said to him, I said, listen. As much as it'd be cool, I don't really want to go without you. I mean, the whole part that's fun about going on a vacation, isn't it, when you go with somebody that you really want to spend time with and you experience it together? I mean, to be there alone would be cool because you're like, wow, this is cool. But you'd be always like, hey, look at, and there's no one there. It would really be no fun. It'd be no fun. And yes, you know, Jeffrey Seif will be there. (laughs) But I don't think he's going to be really wanting to be right next to me saying, yeah, look at that. Uh, or Sandra Lovett. I don't think that's probably going to happen. So, you know, I wanted to experience it with him. You know, you want to experience it and relate with it. And that's exactly what John was saying. Because he's like, you know what, I experienced this, and I want you to experience exactly what I experienced. Because the experience of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many, thousands of years ago, we can still experience that same presence today. That's no different. I and mean, we might not be able to see a miracle performed, but I mean, We can see and feel the presence of God in people's lives. You know, and the thing is, you want people to feel exactly what you felt on those vacations. So, this is how we should really feel about our walk with Jesus. That's what John was saying. He says, Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. You know, if you know someone's going to go with you, it's like watching someone else enjoy the experience just as much as you do. You're like, Yes, isn't it fun? This is great because we're together and we're both having fun. This is wonderful. That's what the message of salvation is. That's what we're supposed to be so excited to tell other people about Jesus Christ because when we've experienced it, we're like, wow, we watch their eyes instead of being glazed over come alive. We watch muttered prayers that really have nothing of faith. All of a sudden, something that happens and God starts to open up their eyes that He's answering, and you start to see, wow, they believe that God's real. And it does double your joy. There's nothing better as a leader, of you guys to watch you guys come alive and get it. I mean, you just it's experience. It's like, yes, you're getting it. You're understanding what this is all about. This is a wonderful thing. So I want to ask you, though, how many of you truly and honestly experience God in the way that you should? I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of times I have a hard time probably because of the, the fact that I do take a call of ministry really serious. There's times where I look at people and I'm thinking, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. It's just not coming on for you. The bulb is not coming on. And it's really difficult because, you know what, you want everybody to get on that same page. You want them to understand that this is a real God that loves us. And this is a God that asks us to serve him. And this is a God that says he's going to come back for his faithful ones. So I want you to get it. I want you to understand. The thing is, I want you to really think about this tonight because it is part of an equation that God really wants us to work through. And John specifically wants us to work through in this chapter. He actually asks some questions to think about about our faith, and I want you tonight to really sincerely think about your own walk. I don't want you to look at your neighbor or somebody in your family and think, yeah, they're not getting it, because I'm going to tell you, we all need help. Every single one of us could be a little bit more determined and disciplined in our faith. You know, we say that we really love God, but sometimes, do we really? Do we really have that excitement? Do we really have that joy that we would really have, that we would be so excited to tell somebody about what we experience. I think sometimes we'd really have to challenge ourselves in that. He doesn't doesn't really bring these things up just to be a flip thought. He wants us to give a truthful answer to this question. He wants us to bring to surface really our truer feelings about God and our relationship with Jesus. It's a personal relationship. We tell you that every single week. It's not religion. Religion will do nothing for you. It will save nothing, nothing. Assemblies of God will save nothing. It doesn't matter if you belong to Assemblies of God. It doesn't matter if you belong to the Catholic religion. None of that matters. It's whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's going to make the difference. So John goes on to ask some pretty sobering observations and some questions. And this, in essence, he says, is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. So one of the things he says right off the bat in this chapter He says, basically, are you walking in the light? Now, you might sit there and think, well, I'm a Christian. I like to challenge on that because I'm going to tell you, sometimes I really don't think you are. Because, you know, I don't believe that all these people that sit there and say they're Christians sometimes, if there's nothing really happening, I don't know if you're really Christians. I really don't know if you're just going through the, you know, the emotions or the feelings of it. I don't even know if you're really experiencing what Christ wants us to experience sometimes. It says, it goes on and says, if we claim that we experience a shared life with Him and continue to stumble around in the dark, then we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. That's something to really think about here, people. If I ask you, you're a Christian, that you're living in the light, but yet you're stumbling in the darkness and you're not living in that light, then I want you to challenge yourself. Think, are you really who you say you are? You know, the thing is, God tells us, look in the mirror. Pay attention. Look at what we look like. He says, Don't be like a fool that would look in the mirror, see what you look like, and then walk away and forget exactly what you look like altogether. He wants us to know, study ourselves, see who we really truly are on the inside, and work on that. It's not enough to just always label ourselves something and never really think about our walk of faith. All of us could be challenged in our faith. I've been challenged this week. I'm thinking, man, there's times, you know what, I see I'm hungry for God. I'm really hungry for him to do a miracle, to watch something amazing take place. And then there's times where I think, you know what, I may pray, I may read my Bible, but I'm thinking, do I really have the hunger to really ask? I mean, I, sometimes I really don't know if I'm really that hungry for it. You know, it's challenging to really sober and sobering to think about where you really are in your faith. He does say, though, but if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrifice blood of Jesus, God's son, and he purges all of our sins. So he says, you know, God be in the light. If we share life together, if we're walking truly with him, then he's going to take and get rid of our sins in our life. He also says if we claim that we're free of sin, then we're only fooling ourselves. So if you think that, you know, you don't sin, There's a lot of people in this world, they say, you know what, it's just a gray area. You know, well, you say I'm a sinner. I don't believe I'm a sinner. Well, God's word says, you know, if you claim that you're free of sin, then you're just a fool. He says a claim like that is errant nonsense. There's a lot of people that don't think there's anything wrong with this world. That we're all good. No worries, no problems. But God's word says that we're all sinners. All of us have sin. All of us are failures. Then it says, on the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and he'll purge of us purge us of all wrongdoing. So we know that all we have to do is ask God for forgiveness. Ask him and he gives it to us. That's how he works it. Then he says, if we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, making a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows our, our off our ignorance of God. If you think you've never sinned, never, ever sinned, there's nothing that you, you know, you can't do anything wrong. That's My biggest pet peeve, pet peeve Mike and I actually were talking about this last night, the fact that there is this understanding, and there's such a small window of what people think that you guys can do something for God. You know, you guys are your age, 13, 12, 13, 14, People will tell you all the time, you're too young. You can't really do anything for God. yet. You, you know, you're just too young. You don't understand anything. And then all of a sudden you get a little older, and it's like, well, you're too old. So there's just this small, short window that you're supposed to be able to do anything for God. And it's really just ridiculous because we see through God's word that people were called to do great things for him all the time. It didn't matter age. David was young. Mary was young. They say that these, these people that were married, when well, they were like 14 years old. But yet, some of you guys, honestly, you're lucky you can stay up past 10. Well, I my, my mom says I got to get like 10 hours sleep. It's like, well, whoopity-doo. I'm telling you. I I I some of I just think, you guys, honestly, you're sleeping too much. Too much. I really do. I think some of you, honestly, you use that as an escape. You know, never have to deal with anything. You can just always like, well, I need rest. It's like, yeah, you do. Funny that rest never needs to be done at other times when you have something to do. But eat it on certain days and you're going to do something for God. So John tells us pretty simply and easily is that you cannot experience salvation and still sulk around the dark doing sinful things with no regard of him. If your life has not changed, if you are still doing sinful things that you would only want to be hidden in the dark, that you wouldn't feel comfortable telling everybody else, I challenge you whether or not you say who you really are. I think it's time to really get real. Like Dr. Phil said, Let's get real. Time to get real. You know, maybe you're not the Christian you think you are. It says that if we claim that there is no right or wrong and there is no such thing as sin, then we are just fools. Don't be a fool. That if we say that we have never sinned and have no need of a savior, then we out and out call God a liar. Basically saying that there was no need for God to send his son as a redeemer for us. If we say we don't sin, then we didn't need, a re- we didn't need anybody to redeem us. So really, what really do we think about our faith? And John also says if we walk alongside Christ, letting him lead us in his light, then we're not going to stumble in darkness anymore. We're not going to be stumbling. We're not always going to be tripping up and falling down. We're not going to fall victim to everybody that comes down the pike telling us some new thing that we should do. You're going to start having standards in your life. You're not going to go see certain things. You're not going to go do certain things. There are going to be people in your life that are going to like, okay, danger, Not going to go with that person. Not going to talk that way. There's going to be things that you set apart differently in your life. There's something wrong if you're going to continually still act the same way. If your life has not changed at all, but you say that you're a Christian, I'm sorry. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I really, really don't. To me, I know what happened in my life. Not perfection, but I'm going to tell you a big challenge from the Holy Spirit to get stuff cleaned up. And still today, I had to asked God numerous times. There's a couple things I had to ask God, God just kill that inside of me. I don't want that. I'm going to sit there ask God, Holy Spirit. I rebuke that. I rebuke that of the enemy. That's not what I want to be, that's not the person I want to be. You know what? We have thoughts, we, but you know what? There's going to be a correction. I've always say, the closest you get to God, the sooner that tap on the back's going to happen to us. The Holy Spirit, when we first come to know Him, after a while, you know what? We might be, a, you know, might do something, and then after a while, God starts to work on us. We're like, okay, maybe that wasn't so good, and you know, maybe I should change that. I'm going to tell you, the closer and closer you get to God, the sooner those taps on your back come. You know, sooner say something or think something that you feel God sit there and say, that was wrong, that wasn't of me. That wasn't right. That you need to change. And that's what the Holy Spirit's all about. If you don't have, your, the world calls it a conscience, then I challenge you, you are not probably saved. I'm going to just, seriously, I'm just going to try to be real with you people here. Because I have noticed what's ended up happening a lot of times. I think we become very, very comfortable. You know, we think and we're doing good because we come every week and we do all these things. It's not good enough, people. If you're not really growing, you're not really who you say you are. It says if we would just admit that we're sinners born with the propensity to sin, he will forgive us and he'll help us. That's what God ultimately wants us to do is just rely on him. Just rely on him. John then goes on to say in chapter 2 of First John that he writes, um, this dear children um to guide you wait a second oh he says that he does this to guide us out of sin then he says that there are some pretty simple tests that you can ask yourself to see if you really are in him and he is in you there's a couple really basic ones <laughs> it's really amazing how difficult we make christianity but he pretty much sums it up in a couple big things he says are you walking in the light ah the next one Hey, how about this? Just so there's no confusion. Um, He says, here's how we can be sure that we know God in the right way. He says, keep my commandments. That's not very hard. I mean, really, there's some real simple, basic things he says here to prove whether or not we're really who we say we are. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a, a liar. His life doesn't match his words. So, all right. Do you guys know where the uh, Ten Commandments are in the Bible? Exodus 20. So if you go back and you look in Exodus 20, how many many commandments are there? Ten. What are the commandments again? Do you guys know what they are? No other gods but me. No idols. No using the name of the Lord in vain. No silly banter, no... Cursing, no like saying the word just for fun. He's basically saying, honor it. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. Honor your mom and dad. No murder. No adultery. No stealing. No lying about your neighbor. And no coveting your neighbor's things. So are 10 things. So he says, if you're really truly who you say you are, you're going to follow these commandments, you're going to do these basic things. So I want to ask you, you say that you're a Christian, are you a liar? Do you do these things? Are you following them? And you might sit there and say, yeah, of course I am. Do you really honor your mom and dad? I'm going to tell you, I know how I was when I was a teenager. I wasn't so good. My mom and dad both were not in my life. My mom had passed away and my dad wasn't really around. But I'm going to tell you, my sister, I wasn't always respectful like I should have been. I definitely wasn't honoring to her. Um, As far as the Sabbath, I don't know if you go to church. I don't think it necessarily has to be on a Sunday, but I think you should take a day and really try to serve God and seek him and put him first and rest and do something different. Stealing, I think all of us to some degree really just can struggle with that. I mean, especially when we're kids, you know, wanting to just take something that doesn't matter, no one's going to know, that kind of thing, you know. Um, lying, man, we're forever trying to lie to get out of trouble, aren't we? I mean, it's so hard when someone you put in a situation and people were out there like, did you do this? And our first natural tendency is to go, no, and come up with an excuse all the time. And then, man, our world is full of wanting better things, wanting a better car, wanting a better house, wanting this and that, better job. I and mean, we tend to be coveting people. So are you a liar tonight? Basically, if you are, I'm hoping that you'll get a chance to make this right with God. That's the whole point. See, the whole thing is not really just to make you feel bad. I do want conviction. I think I pray for conviction. I pray that conviction just rains down on you if you're doing something wrong. I'm for it. I pray it for myself. I pray it for my family. I pray for all of it because you know what? We're never going to be what we need to be if we don't have conviction. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us and challenge us in our faith. It's the only way we're going to change and we're going to grow and we're going to mature. It's the only way it's going to happen. But basically, it's not just to prove that, you know, you might need to change some things, but it's just to make it right. Because all you have to do is ask God for help, and he does. That's what's so great. You know, I always wonder about that number six commandment, you know, the uh, no murder. Because I'm sure, you know, just like in the times like today, if we talk about no murder, most of us would be like, I don't have to worry about that, I've never committed murder. We know what the Bible says, the murder, murder is more like hate. Because it's more about our heart, it's more about our intentions. And uh, I wonder, you know, even in John, he repeats that hatred is like murder in the eyes of God because it is based on our intentions. He actually goes on and says, anyone who claims to live in God's light but hates a brother and sister is still in the dark. It's the person who loves brother and sister who dwells in God's light and doesn't block the light from others. But whoever hates is still in the dark, stumbles around in the dark, doesn't know which end is up. He's blinded by the darkness. So I'm thinking, you know what, even in those days, it must have been that people were arguing with him and saying, well, I don't commit murder. Even in those days, it's like, ah, let me explain something to you. It's a little bigger than just actually taking the knife and killing somebody. It's talking about intentions. It's that we would want to cause harm or hurt somebody that's a, na- you know, a brother or sister. So another thing, just so there's no confusion. The other thing he asks is, how much do we truly love the world? So we've got, right off the bat, we've got, are you walking in darkness? These are three basic things. Are you still walking in darkness? You say that you're a believer, yet you're stumbling around. You're making dumb choices. You're still having relationships with people that you know maybe aren't good for you. You're dating somebody that's not a believer, um, seeing things you shouldn't, doing all the things you shouldn't. So you have that. Are you stumbling in the darkness? Are you following the commandments of God? Are you doing what God's word says? And then, just so there's no confusion, how much do you really, truly love the world? Man, this world offers us a lot—a lot. The Bible tells us, though, that we're aliens and strangers in this world, doesn't it? It Says that we don't belong here. First Peter 2:11 says, "Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul." Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when He arrives. So He says, You know, we don't even belong here. This isn't where we belong. But why are we so enamored with it? I continually, 1st of June will be seven years that I've done youth ministry. And I'm always surprised by the bright and shiny object the world is to young people they just so want to experience it all they want to go and they want to play christianity and then they want to go home and still be the same worldly people that they want to be you know we can be relevant and we can be real and we can still have style and have a life but not cross boundaries and be so enamored with the world basically the bible also says that this world will not really like us so why is it that we want to like it so much God's word says the the world's not going to like us. He says if you're truly a believer, it's not going to. It says John 15, 9, it says if you find that the godless world is hating you, remember it's got its first start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live life on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. But why are we so upset when it does? We're so angry. Like these people all of a sudden don't like me. And then you're like thinking, "Well, well, I don't understand. You know, why these people, are, they say things about me. Well, if you really are truly a believer, they're not going to be that thrilled with you. There's going to be something different about you. The Bible makes it clear. I've told these things for years that it says that we, who are true believers, we set off a fragrance. To so those who are seeking after God, we smell like life. But there are going to be people, if you are a true, real believer, that when they come in your presence, they are going to not like you. They're going to hate you because you already smell like death to them. They can smell their own mortality. They can smell their death, their spiritual death, and they don't like you because there's a spiritual battle that takes place. This is true and real. It's in God's word. So why are we so amazed when all of a sudden the world doesn't like us? We should be thrilled. Oh, man, the world doesn't like me. I'm doing good. But we don't. Instead, we feel so neglected and hurt all the time. It's not what God's word says. He also says that we shouldn't adapt and fit in so easily to this world. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. There's nothing wrong with thinking a little different. Man, thank God I began to think different than what I used to do. I am so glad that I changed my ways. Still not what I need to be, believe me, but way better than I was. The thing is, we shouldn't adapt and fit in. There's a couple movies I've seen, and I'm like, even the ones I'm like, oh, I wish I wouldn't even have seen them. But I watch the people, and there's something really wrong with people's mentality and how they even watch something sometimes. The things that they find funny is disgusting. We as Christians should not be entertained by something that God would be calling sin. We shouldn't. There should be something different about us. We should feel uncomfortable in something that is going on in the world that people are laughing at, but yet we as believers. We shouldn't be entertained by certain things. That, I hope, is a challenge to you. Not so that you can be a holy roller and be holier than thou and pat yourself on the back, but you should have something different about you. There really should be something different. Also, it says don't love this world so much. First John 2.15 says, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with God. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Maybe it's just about selfishness. Maybe it's not just about what you want. Maybe it is supposed to always think about what God would desire. And the fact that we're supposed to be what we're supposed to be because ultimately we have the chance to lead others to him if we live it and we do what's right. And it says, Loving the world defiles our relationship with God and leads us to our own destruction. It is impossible to love the world and the Father at the same time. We can't do both. We can't. It doesn't work. You can't love God And still love the world and think it's all going to work. It says if you love one, you'll not love the other. James 4 4 says you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance that you get, you'll end up enemies of God in His way. Do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He's a fiercely jealous lover. And what He gives in love is far better than anything else that you'll ever find. I'm going to tell you sin is fun people there is not one bit of me that is going to lie to you and tell you that it isn't true you know what you get wrapped up in the moment of romance fun <laughs> watching some things you shouldn't sometimes it can be a lot of fun but you know what it does pull us away from the presence of god and it depends on how much we really hunger and want the presence of god compared to a moment of fun ultimately there is going to be the crash There's going to be a payback. It happens all the time. So to love the world means to be intimate with it, spending time with it over your time that you have to spend with God. How often, I want to challenge you tonight, do you put your own entertainment, your own desires, your own wants over what you think that you should do for God? How many times do you think, you know, I'd rather watch this movie instead of read. I'd rather go here, go hang out with friends or work out or do whatever you want and not spend time with God. That's something to think about. If you say you love God, you're going to give him some time. The thing is, you can't keep playing church. It doesn't work that way. He says, instead of being devoted to him, you're instead devoted to the world's values, interests, ways, and pleasure. You've got to challenge yourself in that. So I want to ask you, do you love the world a bit too much? Do you desire that just a bit too much? Is it a little too shiny and bright for you that you can only notice, oh, oh, I want the world? You know, how many of you guys do that? You have to think about it. If you're always so enamored with bright, shiny object world, you may want to get that straight. And if you do love the world a bit too much, hopefully I'm going to give you a chance that you can actually ask God to help you to make that right. So, I know some of you guys are like, you know, whatever, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. You know what, I am a firm believer in the point that if I tell you, you tell me your experience with Christ, what made you a believer, I think you're going to have something to tell me. It's not that I said this a long time ago and this is who I am. I'm going to tell you it's what God changed in you that made you a different person now. That's what's going to be the difference. Me, like I said, man, I had no idea what a father was all about. I had no idea that a man, a man could love me just for me, that it didn't have to be about doing something or being something for somebody else, that he could just love me for me. That blew me away when I finally come to know him. I thought, man, I don't have to do anything to earn this love. He just loves me that much. And I was saying, man, that's that's what a father is. That's what a real father is. No matter what, he loves me. You know, there's something inside of me that changed, that clicked, that turned on. If you haven't found that thing that's clicked and turned on or something that he's filled inside of you, there has to be something real. Start to serve him, seek him. Do something that makes God real. Because I'm going to tell you, you guys hate to break it to you, but there's an age of accountability, and you're you're there. You're there. You have to answer for who you are. You don't have the right. I don't care who's told you, you know what, I, well, I'm young. You know what, right's from wrong. So what makes you think that you're going to have all the second chances? You think you're too cute to go to hell? I think you're not. I think you just could make it. I think there's beautiful people in hell. don't think it makes no difference. And don't tell me that you have all this time in the world because we know, all we have to do is read the paper. We see that people don't always live forever. So we have to get this straight. We have to know. So the thing is, people say it doesn't matter, but I think it matters to everything. We have to ask ourselves, are we really walking in the light? Are we really following his commandments, like he said? And do we really love him more than we love the world? John goes in chapter 2, he actually goes on to say, "Children." Time is just about up. That's what he says. Just what I was telling you. Time is just about up. You heard that the Antichrist is coming? Well, they are all over the place. Antichrist everywhere you look. That's how we know that we're close to the end. You know, there was one interesting thing I I heard spoken. I was like, boy, that's really, really amazing thought. The fact that the Bible says that no one knows the time Right? We don't know when Jesus is coming back. He says, like a thief in the night, we don't have a clue. You know, we don't have a clue if it's in the next minute or if it's going to be in 100 years. We don't know. But one thing that's really interesting is Satan's always trying to do something to get it prepared and ready. And when he doesn't come back, I think that what there has to be, I heard this guy speak and say, that which basically means that there has to be an Antichrist waiting every generation to step in you know that there's always somebody willing to step in at that moment because and it's always this pulling away from God because we don't know when it's going to take place so generations upon generations maybe maybe Hitler was the antichrist but the thing is you know what Jesus didn't come back at that moment so it didn't all take place we don't know how it all works but the thing is you know what you have to know children time is just about up everything's done that can be done If he can come us back in the next minute, we all have to stand before him and give an account. So just so there's no confusion, I want to ask you, where are you really in this walk of faith? I want you to really make a true assessment of who you are tonight. I want you to hold up the mirror in front of yourself. Look at it deeply. Ask yourself, are you walking in the light? Are you stumbling? Do you know that you've made missteps? Are you stumbling? I mean, if you can think immediately of something you know you did wrong, ask God for forgiveness. Tell him you're going to do better. Tell him you with his help, with your help, God, I can do better. I can do it. You know, start to think about the fact that this world doesn't offer us so much great things. It does for a bit, but it's going to be a payoff. Are you following the commandments of God? That's what he sets in front of us. You have to love. You have to really understand love. You really have to understand God to be able to be the person that God wants us to be on this face, this earth. And, you know, really isn't that confusing or difficult to figure out those love and that God thing if we would do things according to his plan instead of what the world tells us. So I want to give you a second. I just want to play um, some music. We've only got like a couple minutes, but I really just want you to sit for a second. I want you to think about who you are. I can tell you a thousand things. I could tell you a thousand stories. I can tell you. You, only you, can look in the mirror and make a decision for yourself and tell what your sins are. I don't go home with you. You know, no matter what, you know what you do. If you need forgiveness, ask God right now to forgive you. If you need to challenge and change some things about yourself, ask Him to help you, okay? So I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then just sit for a second. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He'll tap you on the back and say, remember that time? And then you could say, forgive me, okay? Mm -hmm. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you're going to do, Lord, for each one of us personally, Lord. We know that you're a God of conviction. We know that you challenge us, Lord, in our faith. And uh, I just ask, Father, that you would just touch, fall heavy upon each person that's here, Lord. I pray that they'd have a true, real experience with you, and that their hearts and their lives would be changed and grow closer to you. I just pray, Father, that you would just help them in this quiet time, Lord, right now. We just thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen.